This episode of the Queen's Memory podcast has been produced in English. If you'd like to listen in Nepali, you can find that version in our podcast feed as well. Yo Queen's Memory podcast ko episode ma English bhasha prayog gariyeko cha. Tapai lai Nepali bhasha ma sunna man lage bhani hamro podcast ko feed ma hernos. Tya link upalabdha cha. You're listening to season three of the Queen's Memory podcast. My name is Jiefei Yuan, and I'm the Queen's Memory curator. In this season, our major minor voices, we feature stories from our neighbors of Asian descent in Queens, New York. Too often, these voices are deemed minor, as in of a minority. But in our borough, these voices are a major force. One in four borough residents identifies as Asian American. The stories they tell reflect their ongoing struggles and triumphs. There are our stories, a vital part of who we are, and together they represent a snapshot of our ever-changing neighborhoods as they are now. This is Heidi Shen. I am Stella Gold. I'm Melody Tao. Stands in Chokin. In neutral. Rosalind Tordesillas. Hi, I'm Shraddha Ghali. And I'm Peter Gill. And we're in Jackson Heights. And this is where our story begins. In this episode, we hear the stories of two Nepalis who made their way to Queens in search of new beginnings. Both thought their time here would be temporary. Years later, neither have returned. First is the story of a Nepali domestic worker. An estimated 3,000 Nepalis work in private homes in New York City, according to Adhikar, a nonprofit that offers literacy and workers' rights classes for Nepali immigrants. This story is brought to you by our producers, Peter Gill and Shraddha Gale. Let's listen. Dolma is a housekeeper and babysitter who lives in Queens. Today, her daughter is celebrating her 12th birthday in Nepal. On her phone, Dolma is watching a video of her cutting a cake and playing with a puppy. I called her last night, morning Nepal time, just as she was waking up. I'd gotten someone to buy her a puppy as a gift, and she was playing with the puppy as we talked. She's really happy about the dog. All parents want a better life for their children. But what if giving them a better life meant living away from them for an indefinite period of time? Dolma, which is not her real name, works in New York so that she can send savings home to Nepal and give her daughter a good education. She has a U.S. work permit, but her ongoing efforts to fully legalize her immigration status would be jeopardized if she were to leave the country before the process is complete. Dolma spends her days caring for other people's children, but hasn't seen her own daughter in 10 years. Dolma was born in her parents' yak herding hut in Nepal's eastern mountains. From the time she was 10, she and her sister looked after the family's herd while their parents lived in a village below. I didn't get to go to school. In our village, daughters didn't go to school, only sons. I would watch my older brothers studying, writing Nepal in their notebooks, and I would copy them when I was in the forest. I would peel the bark off trees using a kukri knife and write my name on the wood using a piece of charcoal from the fire. I learned to write my own name in the forest. That's how I learned. It was just us sisters. 
and a Tibetan Mastiff and the Yaks. We didn't see other people often, and if we did, we were afraid of them. And we loved the yak so much. Each yak had its own name. In the winter, we didn't have easy access to water, so we would boil snow and mix it with shredded daikon to feed to the yaks. It kept them warm. Later, a trader came to buy the yaks. Our parents sold all the yaks, thinking it would be profitable. After that, we cried and cried. They'd sold all our yaks after we'd spent years raising them, since they were babies. After that, I didn't want to stay with my parents anymore. I was 16 or 17 when I came to Kathmandu. My sister had gone to Kathmandu a few months earlier, so I ran away from home to search for her there. Dolma eventually found her sister in the capital and helped her run a tea shop, cooking chow mein and snacks for travelers. She fell in love with a boy from a different ethnic group. They had a love marriage, something uncommon in Nepal, where most marriages are arranged by the bride's and groom's parents within the same caste or ethnic group. In 2010, the couple had a baby daughter. The next year, Dolma applied for a visa to the United States. When she got it, she decided to come to the U.S. My husband wasn't very practical. And he didn't have a job either. I thought that if I don't come here, my daughter wouldn't have a good future. My daughter was still small. She was just 21 months old. I didn't even get to celebrate her second birthday. On the day I left, I breastfed my daughter, and then I went to the airport. My cousins came to pick me up at the airport, and we went to Brooklyn. My cousins were already living there. And the thing that scared me was when the train went underground. I thought, oh my God, are we ever going to get out of here? What if we get stuck? (laughs) Soon after arriving in New York City, Dolma found a job as a nanny and housekeeper. Many Nepali domestic workers in New York work for South Asian families, at least when they first arrive. Dolma spoke some Hindi, and she found a job through a friend with an Indian family in New Jersey. The wife worked at a bank, and the husband was a chef at a fancy hotel. Dolma cared for the couple's two small children by day and slept on the couch in their unheated living room. She had no privacy and missed her own daughter dearly. At that time, I cried. I cried a lot. What kind of fate is this? To not be able to live with my own daughter and take care of other people's children, I thought. Whenever I saw a baby about the same age as my daughter on the street, I'd watch and watch and get lost in my thoughts. I was already in the process of getting my papers, in the middle of the process. You can't leave, and if you go, you can't return. I thought it would be quick, but I decided to stay and wait. And I waited and waited and waited until now. Later, she moved to Queens and through an employment agency, found live-out work with a family on Long Island. But a crude tattoo on her arm was a problem. She remembers making the tattoo herself in the yak herder's shed when she was about 12 years old using Artemisia's juice, charcoal dust, and a sharp thorn. 
I used a thorn on my arm and it was really bloody. Yeah, I was so excited because I was a kid and I wanted to make that color stay. I didn't even care about the pain. The tattoo was of a swastika. In Nepal and throughout South Asia, the swastika is a symbol of good luck used by Hindus, Buddhists and Jains. To her new employers, who were Orthodox Jews, the symbol of course had an entirely different meaning. They asked her to cover her arm while she was working around their children. Dolma asked her cousins why her employer seemed so upset. My cousin said, that's Hitler's sign. Hitler killed millions of Jewish people. So Dolma went to a tattoo artist in Jackson Heights who converted the tattoo into a flower. Even though the old tattoo reminded her of her childhood, Dolma says she doesn't mind having to cover it up. As time passed, Dolma watched her daughter grow up over video calls which she made early in the morning or late at night to account for the time difference to Nepal. She draws well. She makes all kinds of drawings. Portraits, flowers. She asks me all sorts of questions. Last time she said, in America there are people with different skin colors. Are you one of those who are nice to white people but treat black people poorly? I said, no, I don't do that. Everyone is equal. She knows more than I do. She looks everything up on Google. Dolma found new jobs as a nanny around New York City. For a time, she worked for a family in Lower Manhattan. They were very wealthy people. They even had a house manager. The family had three kids, two girls and a boy. I had to do everything, be an all-rounder, look after the kids, housekeeping, take them to their music classes. The older daughter went for horseback riding lessons after school. I had to finish all the work within a certain number of hours. They had very strict rules. They complained a lot if I made even a small, teeny tiny mistake. Once, Dolma accidentally broke a glass container of spring water the family ordered to their apartment. She badly cut her hand but rushed to clean up the shards so the children wouldn't injure their feet. When Dolma finally controlled the bleeding, she apologized to the children's mother. The mother, she says, told her that she would dock her paycheck for the broken container. Most weekends, the family required her to go upstate with them to their vacation home. I had to stay upstate on Fridays and Saturdays. It was hard taking care of three kids 24 hours a day. Their parents went to parties every day, so I had to look after them all night. I was going upstate every weekend, and I started getting nosebleeds, as it was so cold up there. One Friday, my nose was hurting badly, and I was feeling very sick. So I told my employers I couldn't travel as I had a doctor's appointment. They said, it's not our problem if you have an appointment. You must come with us. My throat was so sore, I couldn't even speak. I was in a bad condition. But they were implying that my working was more important to them than my health. That was when I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't come. Actually, I'm not going to work for you anymore. Dolma started working for another family before COVID-19 struck. Unfortunately, she later injured her back, preventing her from working. After undergoing back surgery, she is now over a year into her recovery. In her small apartment in Queens, Dolma keeps photos of her daughter by her bedside, not far from a shrine with small statues of the Buddha and electrified butter lamps. 
I hope I can get my papers quickly and see my daughter again. That's my hope for the future. I want to give her a good education. I suffered because I didn't have one. I want her to get a good education so she doesn't suffer like me. Following years of advocacy by domestic workers, New York passed a Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights in 2010. The statute guarantees overtime pay, a day off every week, three paid vacation days per year, and protection under the state's human rights law. Here is Narbada Chetri, who leads the workers' rights program at Adhikar, a nonprofit that advocates for Nepali immigrants. Domestic work, professional Domestic work is a profession that makes all types of other work possible. For domestic workers, their workplace is someone else's home. They need respect, dignity, and recognition at work. And that's what we're fighting for. New York's law has benefited everyone. And now, along with the National Domestic Workers Alliance, we are fighting to pass a federal bill for workers' rights. Next, we'll hear from another Nepali immigrant, Pasan Sherpa, who also left his home behind to find a livelihood in the U.S. Luckily, he managed to build a new home, a family, and a community. Near Roosevelt Avenue train station in Jackson Heights, there's a building so close to the 7 that it shakes every time a train goes by. Inside are five Nepali-owned businesses. In the basement is a Nepali-style snack bar. Upstairs, there's a Nepali jeweler, a Nepali money transfer business, a Nepali videographer who specializes in weddings and cultural event videos, and a Nepali barbershop. The barbershop on the second floor is named Pasang Striking Style, after its owner, Pasang Sherpa. During a typical weekday, a steady stream of customers, many but not all of them Nepali, come in for a $15 haircut. I think it's a fun part of this job. Every day, I get to meet new people and understand new concepts, because I'm meeting new people and hearing their ideas. And along with that, I get to make friends with people from all over the world. Before coming to the U.S. 15 years ago, Pasang worked as a trekking guide in the Mount Everest region where he was born. In 2005, he came to the U.S. intending just to visit. At the time, Nepal was engulfed in a civil war that had upended tourism. When I first came, I wasn't intending to stay here, at least not in the beginning. But the situation in Nepal was not good at that time. And time passed, and I sort of got stuck here. Soon, his wife joined him, and within the next five years, they had two children. Pasang says he's a guy who likes to march to his own drum. Most other Nepalis he knew were driving taxis or working in restaurants. Instead, he enrolled in a six-month barbering course. It was really tough in the early days. No other Nepalis were in this line of work. I had no one to turn to for advice. If I asked people from other communities, there were communication gaps or trust gaps. Pasang rented a chair in a Latinx barber shop for several years before opening his own store. 
He shares his current space with an Ecuadorian woman named Johnita. The TV in their salon switches between Telemundo and Nepali TV channels. Actually, she didn't really speak English in the beginning, and I didn't speak Spanish. But now, she's learned pretty good English, and I've also learned a bit of Spanish. So we communicate. After working together for so long, we have our own way of communicating. I also taught her a few Nepali words. Dhanyabad, Namaste. Hasang's sons are now 15 and 11. He wants them to learn about Nepal and Sherpa culture. His older son speaks Nepali fluently, but his younger son struggles with the language, so Pasang has instituted at-home Nepali movie nights during the pandemic. During the lockdown and up until now, at the very least one day a week on Friday nights, we show my kids a Nepali movie or a Nepali TV show, and they learn a lot from it. They ask me a ton of questions. What's that? Where is that place? I say, that's how it was when I was growing up. They ask, is that really what a village house looks like? And I say, yes, that's how I lived. That's how I grew up and that's how I played. And look at those mountains and the ridges. That's how I teach them. In Nepal, where the Hindu caste system is pervasive, cutting hair is seen as lowly work. The Sherpa ethnic group to which Pasang belongs, do not traditionally cut hair. In Nepal, cutting hair or tailoring clothes is seen as a work for the low caste. That's the mentality. But what I say is, that's Nepal's mentality. We need to change it and to revolt against that. You can think of my work as a revolt against that mentality. People think, I need a fancy job, one that's respectable. Menial jobs aren't respectable. But what I say to that is, it's not about your profession, but about perfection. If a tailor is great at what he does, then that's better than a lousy doctor. Or a barber can be better than an engineer, because he's perfect at what he does. Whatever you do, if you can do it perfectly, then you can be a hero and earn a name for yourself. One thing most of Pasang's customers don't realize is that he's also a poet and a prominent lyricist in the Nepal pop music scene. Actually, I was writing poems and songs before I came to the U.S. I still write songs when I'm in the mood. Late at night, after everyone has eaten and gone to bed, that's when I start writing. Many of his songs are inspired by the stories he hears from people sitting in his barber chair. After arriving in the U.S., lots of Nepalis are still not content. At the beginning, they think, all I have to do is make a lot of money and then everything will be fine. But once they have earned their money, they realize, oh, actually money isn't the answer. It isn't everything. There are other things you need to be happy. I met so many people like that. And based on that, I wrote a song. You can find it on YouTube. I crossed hundreds of ridges to get here. I forded hundreds of rivers to get here. When I got here, I thought I'd won, but also I had lost. For the Queen's Memory Podcast, I'm Peter Gill. And I'm Shraddha Ghali. This episode was produced by Peter Gill and Shraddha Ghali in conjunction with Melody Tao, Anna Williams, and Natalie Milbrod. Mixing and editing by Corey Choi. 
with music composed by Elias Raven. Voiceover work by Sharare Bajracharya, Jigdel Dorji Kui, and Mariam Machado. The song Sayon Dada Kade is by Pasan Sherpa, sung by Bikram Baral. Special thanks to Narbada Chetri of Adhikar and to Tupton Sherab and Tupton Chakrishar of the Himalayan Elders Project. Join us next time for more stories from our Queen's neighbors. The Queen's Memory Podcast is a production of the Queen's Memory Project. For full transcripts and show notes from this episode, visit queensmemory.org forward slash podcast. This podcast has been made possible in part by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Democracy demands wisdom. Queen's Memory is an ongoing community archiving program by the Queen's Public Library and Queen's College CUNY. The views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this episode are those of its creators and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of National Endowment for the Humanities, Queen's Public Library, the City University of New York, or their employees. I'm Jie Fei Yuan. Listen with us next time on Queen's Memory.